I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Line Trust, specialist fund managers. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Total Football. The phrase, it's coming home, gets bandied around far too easily these days, but it seems increasingly obvious that football is in the departures lounge and preparing for its boarding call. On today's episode, all of the reaction and analysis from England's surprisingly drama-free 2-0 victory over Sweden, who impressed who has more work to do, and what does this victory mean for the damaged psyche of this footballing nation? We'll head to Russia to get the thoughts of Paul Hayward, who's been covering the tournament and witnessing the waistcoated miracle of Gareth Southgate up close, plus a look ahead to the World Cup semi-finals, which are more European than an interrailing trip soundtrack by Vanessa Paradis, Solwax, and Pips Chips and Video Clips, a rock band from Zagreb formed in the early 90s who have released seven studio albums. Thanks, Wikipedia. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm joined by our columnist and former England star, Jamie Carragher. Jamie, how are you? Yes, it's uh, a little bit rough after the yesterday, I'm sure we enjoy this Saturday afternoon England game on sun out, so I'm sure uh, I feel the same as a lot of people <laughs> this morning. Bit of a heavy head, but it was worth it. Somewhat fragile. All right, let's, let's, we'll both try and help each other through this, Jamie. Um, I, I know we thrashed Panama, uh, and I say we, I, I know I should just be saying England, because we do have podcast fans who aren't from England, but um, was this England's best performance of the World Cup so far? I think the best performance we saw was the opening of the first half, really, in the, in the first game. And come flying up the blocks. I'd say yesterday's was really the, the stiffest test we've had. Maybe Colombia, you could also argue that as well. But I think Sweden's record coming into it, the teams they defeated, and even to get get here, how, how close they ran Germany in the group stage, beating Mexico 3 0. So it was the stiffest test, if you like. And I wouldn't say England were, were, were fantastic, but they were just so controlled and never looked in any trouble. And, it was, and Sweden, notoriously, is a very tough game. I've played against Sweden a lot at international level and it always is a tough game for England and, and it was just the way they made it look so easy considering the opposition. But again, now going into the semi-final, the opposition and, and maybe how they can hurt England does step up a little bit, but Sweden is a tough nut to crack and for England to do it so easily, I think it was very impressive. Did you have any concerns with how England approached the game to begin with? Not for the first time this tournament, they did start a little bit slowly. Yes, but to be honest, that's... That's not, I don't think criticising them too much for that. I think Sweden at times force you like that because they're so defensive. Have so many men behind the ball. Your idea is to, of course, come flying up the blocks like they did in the very first game and create chances, maybe get a goal. But it's very difficult when a team is that sort of rigid and uh, methodical. And you've just got to keep your patience and wait for your right moment. And, and that right moment was another set piece. There was talk that this would be a difficult game for England set piece-wise because Sweden could match them. But 
great delivery, great header, and and sometimes you you have to wait to you know get your moments. And it was always going to be difficult to break them down and score a goal in open play. That has been a criticism all tournament, but we saw a great goal in the second half to kill the game. As you say, it was a set piece that gave England the breakthrough. At some point, is someone going to look at all of the corners England have taken in this tournament and figure out how to defend them? Or are England just executing them so well that even the best defences are going to struggle to deal with these corners? Well, I think people are going to struggle to deal with them. I think it's pretty obvious now what England are looking to do. They've got some big players. I think when you play with a back three as well, at times it gives you the an extra centre-back, so it gives you another person with height going into the box to attack corners and the delivery is fantastic and whoever they come up against and Sweden would have been the same and Colombia they've all watched England they'll all be studying and it's okay knowing what they're going to do and it's stopping them and at this moment no one looks like being able to stop them but I think to go to a final and score in almost every game from a set piece is going to be difficult to do so I think the great thing yesterday was the fact that England got that second goal and it did come from open play if England's won 1-0 yesterday no one cares really England are in the next round but you'd be thinking another goal just from a set piece we're not creating too much from open play and can you continue to do that scoring from set pieces every game it's, it's going to be very difficult so in the next game, hopefully that second goal will give them the confidence that they can score other goals besides set pieces. If Harry Maguire was your man at corners that you were assigned to mark, how would you be dealing with him? <laughs> well, I think the way I used to mark at corners, I think I'd be in big trouble with VAR, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. But, I mean, a, a lot of teams in this tournament are going man-to-man, and I find it very difficult to stay with England's players. They, they, they get together and they all split and they're all different runs. And I, I think teams against England should actually be setting up a little bit more zonally really I think it's very difficult to to man mark when they all get together and all split and run you're not quite sure where your man's going to run is is one of the opposition going to bump you one of your own mates going to block you so I actually think other teams should get in a really tight zone and wait for the England players to run onto them as you say, there was uh, a few chances from open play for England. One big one, especially for Raheem Sterling, which, which he didn't take, albeit he did control it extremely well when the ball came to him. What did you make of Sterling's performance overall? I thought he did OK. I think I think pretty similar to all the games, really, in that he's been dangerous and caused the opposition problems with his pace, making runs in behind. But his job of sort of creating or scoring goals, he isn't quite doing that at the moment, but the rest of his game isn't bad. He's doing OK. And it, it feels that he's either getting slaughtered by some people which I think is wrong and he's not playing that badly but then on the on the other side of that you've got people going to, the other way to defend him saying how well he's playing he's making great runs he's creating space for people he's doing this this and this and I think they're actually getting a bit carried away he's not playing that well it's actually somewhere in the middle at the moment and he will want to go I don't think he'll want to go through this tunnel scoring a goal considering the position he's playing in almost just behind uh, Harry Kane he's having a few chances we all know it's not his greatest strength his greatest strength is running with the ball making runs in behind people the speed and the pace from, and at times I think we're seeing that and he is uneasy uh, defences with those runs but of course someone as high up the pitch as he's playing you want them to, uh, to be concentrating assists and goals and he's not quite doing enough of that What about Kieran Trippier on the right for England a shoe in for team of the tournament it would seem at this stage Yes he's been outstanding and I think we all know why now at the start of last season that Pochettino wasn't too worried about you know, getting that transfer fee for Car Walsh, he had Trippier there. And uh, I think a great decision by Gareth Southgate, the way he's, he's worked it really. There's still a few question marks getting thrown at Kyle Walker, but I think it works quite well, having someone with that pace as part of the back three to get England out of trouble if they counter-attacked or they get exposed, as they haven't been, or they haven't been in, in this tournament, to be fair. But I think that might come now with you know a semi-final, maybe a final against better opposition. So I think that pace will be really useful. And you get two players in there who he obviously wants 
in his team because there's a lot of talk of maybe bringing another centre back and putting Kyle Walker right wing back maybe before the tournament. But the way he sets up and now gets both of them in the team, so you get the great speed and also the great delivery from uh, Trippier. What about Jordan Pickford? How much difference does it make to defences to have such a solid keeper who's clearly in brilliant form uh, operating behind them? He is. He's uh, he's playing really well. I don't think he's getting asked to do too much, but when he is getting asked to do something, he's pulling off the saves. And I think England defensively been really good in this tournament. I think a lot of the teams they've played, if I'm being honest, have been quite negative uh, in how they've set up and are almost trying to stop England really and trying to hate England really too much defensively. So I think the next game or two games, I think it'll be more of a 50-50 game where both teams are trying to do exactly the same to each other, which is obviously attack and get goals. So maybe more questions will be asked of the back three and the goalkeeper. But I think England has defended really well. And when the goalkeeper's been asked to perform, you know, produce a save, a big save, he has, especially in the penalties, but also the one where he was very unfortunate against Colombia, where they then score from the, the resulting corner after he makes that miraculous save. I think the saves he made yesterday, I think the one from the header in the second half was a good save, but he has to make it. But I don't think it was a, a great save, because I think if it had gone in, we just sort of questioned him and said, well, why hasn't he saved it? But uh, it was a good save, he made a couple of other good saves as well. He's playing really well. And that confidence will spread to, to the back three, but they will be worth, I think, a lot more in the next couple of games. What about Deli Ali looking a little bit brighter in general on Saturday and obviously did score? Did he show enough to you to completely cement his place in the team now? Well, I think the goal with Deli Ali, I think his biggest strength is making runs into the box and scoring a goal. I don't think he's the greatest player outside the box in terms of he's going to threaten passes through, getting on the ball, dictating players. I don't think he's that type of player. I think he is really almost like a second striker, certainly when he plays. With, uh, with Tottenham alongside Harry Kane. I, th- I don't class him as a, a classic number 10, if you like, if you think of sort of the number 10s we've had in the Premier League over the years. You, you imagine getting on the ball and sliding people in and clever passes around the corner. I think he is someone who actually attacks the box and gets on the end of things. And I think it was just, the goal he got yesterday, I think it was similar to a goal he scored maybe a couple of times with Tottenham against Chelsea. It rings a bell when he gets in at the back post from a, from a cross. And uh, I think that is his great strength, maybe something that we England has... A long time ago with like a David Platt type, he's always making those runs into uh, into the box, and that's his great strength. But up until now, he hadn't got on the score sheet, so I think it was great for him to get a goal. Yeah, let's hope he can kick on now for the semi final. It, it does seem like Gareth Southgate is going to stick with this eleven now. He's had plenty of chances to change it. Would it be a shock if he did change anything in a big way for the Croatia game? No, I don't see him changing anything really. I mean, there's been a lot of talk right from the start of the tournament of Danny Rose coming in, uh, but I think Ashley Young's done really well. He's part of the the set piece success England have had as well, so you wouldn't change that. And uh, no, I think there was more questions before yesterday's game about maybe things that could be changed, the odd position here and there. But uh, no, I think the team's set in stone now. This is England's team, best team as uh, the manager sees it. It's playing really well. And if that, uh, if that to continue England's success going forward, it's not going to change it too much. And if certain players aren't at their absolute best, sometimes you don't want to change a, a winning formula or a winning team. They're, they're still part of it even if they're not playing at the maximum individually. So, no, I don't see any change in that between now and the end of the tournament. This is uncharted territory now for this generation of England players. How did you deal with it, Jamie, when you reached new milestones in your career, like your first Champions League semi-final, for example? Well, to be honest, it's like a dream, really, and you just don't want it to stop, and that's how the England players will feel. Now, we were on, obviously, with Liverpool a couple of times for the Champions League final, and you're on this journey, just... You know, the excitement, even this year as a fan, really. It's just this thing that you don't want to stop and you just hope it has a happy end. And unfortunately for Liverpool, it didn't in the uh, in Kiev this this time. But I think the England players now, I think getting to a semi-final is special and they will come back as heroes and 
the 1990 team is still get talked about from Italia 90, Euro 96 team also. So they will be remembered and they'll all remember now the great time they had with the supporters being together all this time for months, six weeks. What does it do for the national team in general? Because it feels like that one one tournament like this almost sustains the support for the national team for another 10 years after it. Exactly because that people remember it. And what, what, what these England players are doing is they're making people enjoy watching England again. I think it's been a very long time since people look forward to going to the pub with their mates to watch England play. It, it feels like almost you know, 15, 20 years, and that's, that's not good enough, really. And I was part of those teams that wasn't uh, good enough to sort of give that buzz and excitement back to the fans, really. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing now. Long may it continue, really, with uh, hopefully a couple of more barbecues. What's the mood in Liverpool like at the moment, Jamie? I know there's a section of Merseysiders who aren't massively bothered either way about the national team. Is that changing at the moment? I think maybe slightly, yeah. I think people get more up for it the closer it's getting to a crunch time. Liverpool played yesterday at three o'clock, so Liverpool still took her... Uh, who went to that game? That, well, there'll be a lot of Liverpool supporters there, I can assure you, at uh, <laughs> Chester yesterday. Yeah, there's no doubt I would think people on in Liverpool, if you ask them, there's no doubt about it. They would uh, choose the club over the country every year. Uh, day of the week and I'd, I'd be probably similar sentiments to that I think but there's no doubt no one can deny that the excitement building around the country is now building in this city of you know as I said there's two more games to go that's all everybody's talking about and where you're going to be on Wednesday to watch the game and hopefully on uh, on Sunday night. Have you spoken to any of your former England teammates during the tournament and, and how are they feeling? Not really I mean you just see a lot of it on social media I think everyone's getting excited obviously the pundits are over there a lot of ex-England players I, I played with now and you sort of keep up in touch with them uh, on that platform but everyone getting excited and calling uh, you know it's coming home that's the uh, the hashtag I think that I keep seeing every time I go on my phone so yeah I think everyone is uh, is getting excited and hopefully you know supporters people on TV and all feel part of it also. Looking ahead to the semi-final, will the fact that England got it done in normal time in their quarter and Croatia went all the way to penalties have any bearing on how the semi-final plays out? I don't think so. I mean, an extra half an hour of football doesn't make too much difference uh, now, you know, at this stage of the tournament. It will be a tough game, uh, Croatia. I think it's a game, again, we probably slight favourites, I'd say. I think we just have the edge, maybe player-wise. But they've got a couple of classy players, certainly in uh, Modric and Rakitic. In midfield, so it's it's still a game I expect England to go through in. The team now does seem mentally stronger. I think we're all expecting a, a head loss moment from someone. We're primed to expect that through history. How do you think England are going to manage the expectation now? Again, being slight favourites, you would say for the semi. I think just exactly the same as they have been. I think they've been favourites every game they've they've had. They've dealt with it fantastically well. I think that comes from the manager. He looks really cool and calm uh, on the side of the pitch. Even when the Columbia goal went in, he didn't get too stressed or too worked up, he, I think he transmits that tranquility to the team and we see it in the performance, especially yesterday, as I said that was a really tough game, Sweden that and never at any time did the feeling looked in trouble or panicking uh, at any stage and I think that comes from the manager and I think we'll see that again on Wednesday I think all of us who are supporting England in this tournament are falling in love with players we hadn't really thought about that much before, do you have a special fondness for anyone in this team? Well I'd say uh, Jordan Henderson, I think he went into this tournament, people were still questioning whether he was probably going to play him or Eric Dyer. And uh, I think he's sort of answered that uh, unanimously with his performances. Thought he was excellent again yesterday. And I think probably people are now, certainly this season, with them getting to Champions League final and then getting this far in a in a tournament with England, probably recognising how good a player he, he is. And to be fair, always has been really. I've always felt he was never given enough credit in a Liverpool shirt or an England one. And finally now it feels like he's getting some recognition. Finally, Jamie, what would be your advice to England now? What would be your message to the team? <laughs> Enjoy it. 
enjoy it. It could it could all be over on Wednesday, Sunday. England may lose in the final. They may not obviously come home with the uh, the trophy. But the, the, these are big moments to remember. You know, for the rest of your life, whether England win the World Cup or not. So. Just enjoy it, take it all in. Of course, you've got a huge game Wednesday, but always enjoy the moment. Brilliant, Jamie. Thank you very much. OK, thank you. Our chief sports writer Paul Hayward was in Samara for the Sweden game and is with us now. Paul, was this the highlight of your years covering England? I think so, Tom. This 1990 thing has been hanging over for... England for an awful long time, well, 28 years, not to mention 1966, of course. And all I've ever covered with England is bad news stories, really. I've covered success in every sport other than in relation to the England football team, who've been a sort of um, pariah out on the margins of success in English sport. And this feels like success already, but I don't think anybody feels that this is this is far enough. Nobody's going to be happy to go out in the semi-final because people are looking at Croatia and saying, well, that's a, a 50-50 game. England have won two 50-50 games already. So, you know, why not go all the way to the final? Going back to 1919, your Sunday Telegraph piece, you compared Southgate to Bobby Robson and, and Russia 18 with Italia 90. If England don't defeat Croatia, will they still have what you call an unhappy opera this time? <laughs> well, it depends how the game turns out. But the important thing about this World Cup to me is beyond the incredible feel-good factor and the excitement back home and the development of a young team is the fact that I think England have sort of turned a corner, you know, spiritually, intellectually. I think things might be different from now on because I've covered so many tournaments where England have been lost in their own delusions, excessive expectation, the celebrity culture, sort of tactical and technical inadequacies. The joy of this World Cup for me is that you see an England team playing mainstream international attacking football led by a, a manager who's using his, you know, his intelligence and his character, you know, his, his decency to to make something bigger than just a, a, a tournament run. It, it's great fun watching it, but also I'm looking ahead and thinking, well, let's hope England are like this for a long time to come. It's remarkable how different it feels from Euro 2016, which is, you know, two years is a very short time, really, in football. Um, how much of that is down to Southgate and how much is the more longer-term planning beginning to bear fruit, which I guess would make Euro 2016 the aberration? I think you're right, Tom. Those two, those two things are, are very important. There's been a plan to connect all the England age group teams up, develop a style of play, develop a culture at St George's Park, you know, deliver specific messages to the players. And then along comes Gareth Southgate by accident, almost after Sam Allardyce lost the job. He used the phrase with us on Thursday, I thought I ought to pick it, pick it up. In other words, you know, sweep up the smashed vase of, of, of the England football team and, and try and do something with it. But fortunately, Southgate had a had an idea and he had a vision and he knew that um, the players couldn't go on being disconnected from the public, particularly they couldn't go on thinking of playing for England as a chore. They had, it had to mean something to them. They had to be enthusiastic about it. They had to feel that it was worth their time. And of course, he's, you know, he's specifically picked out young players with a sort of rootedness, young players who were willing to respond to the challenge he was setting them. And on top of all that, England have had a nice, easy, not easy run, but a, a less than daunting run to the uh, semi-finals, which has helped enormously. And to answer your question about Euro 2016, which was undoubtedly the Nadir, the defeat to Iceland uh, in Nice, I think was the lowest point 
since 1966 because of the nature of the opposition and the way the team froze and so on. But I think to give Roy Hodgson some credit, he was actually developing players at that time. The tournament went disastrously wrong, as did the 2014 World Cup. But at least Hodgson had this idea, the same idea that Southgate has, that you needed to develop younger, fresher players who could play in this in this mainstream way and, and who wouldn't be burdened by the past. Going back to that connection with the fans, the game on Saturday was the first time when England fans were in the majority inside the stadium. What did that do to the atmosphere? It transformed the atmosphere. The Columbia game was much more stressful in every way. It felt like an away game. They were playing a South American country with a with a style that was difficult to get to grips with. Uh, the Colombians were very intense in their pressing, had more sort of individual flair and, and technique than, than Sweden had. So for the first half hour, the Sweden game felt like a sort of... Um, you know, the Sunday Premier League game they put on before the really good one at four o'clock. Uh, <laughs> and it felt it felt like all the other England-Sweden games you ever watched. But then all of a sudden, they upped the tempo England. Harry Maguire got that set-piece goal. And England started playing their, their natural game, which was to try and play incisive passes, do things quickly and boldly. And, and Sweden was showed up at that point as a very one-dimensional side. So the supporters in the stadium, as I imagine people back home did, sort of relaxed into a process of watching a, a routine win. And it was the complete opposite of the Colombia game. I think we'll go back to the Colombia tension when uh, England play Croatia, because Croatia have a lot of an awful lot of good players. Did the supporters behave themselves, as far as you could tell? Yes, they did. Uh, they've they've been on an interesting journey. When they when they arrived for the first couple of games, I think England fans were thinking, you know, we're not really here. Please don't, you know, hit us with your batons or attackers or haters. And they quickly realised that that wasn't the prevailing atmosphere in Russia, and that they could they could feel safe here and sing their songs and, you know, display their enthusiasm for the team without fear. And um, all the fans I've seen in the last two or three games have just been so euphoric, really, and so glad to be here and so um, pleased that they made the effort and spent the money to come to Russia to be part of something that feels like, um, you know, a really national experience. One of the obvious parallels to, to go back to 1990, to me, is that England didn't really play fantastically well at any point during Italia 90. You could make the case they've been better at this tournament with a worse team. I mean, obviously, the Panama game was was a thrashing against very limited opponents. But do you expect one proper rip-roaring performance from England in the games that remain? Well, I suppose we've seen one against Panama, who were an, an incredibly weak and shambolic team. That was England's sort of champagne performance, if you like. You're right, Tom. I mean, the 1990 team started with a 1-1 draw against the Republic of Ireland, which was a sort of medieval battle, uh, and prompted um, one newspaper to say that England should be brought home from the tournament because they were a sort of embarrassment to the nation. And then, of course, um, Bobby Robson switched to three at the back. Uh, Gareth Southgate did that some months ago, and all the good players in that 1990 team started to uh, relax and express themselves. And I've been sort of disagreeing with some England fans, actually. I, I say that was ultimately a a bad opera. It was a bad outcome. It was a, a sad story in the end. And a lot of England fans actually still think of 1990 as a as a glorious episode. You know, something that they really enjoyed. But I've, I'd find it difficult to uh, any penalty shootout defeat uh, to enjoy. And I, I feel it ended, you know, before it should have. So this team has an opportunity, you know, not not to suffer that fate to to sort of deliver on its promise and its enthusiasm and its um on the revival we've seen and get beyond Croatia and 
appear in the final next Sunday. And what about their manager, Paul? I know you sat down with Southgate ahead of the Sweden game. What's he been like to deal with? Well, he's been amazing, really. He's he, he's given more of himself than he than he would need to. You know, a lot of England managers would be less expansive than Southgate has been. He's taken great trouble, I think, to 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 get his message across, and he's been incredibly courteous, and generous with his time. And I suppose he's applying, you know, in his in his dealings with the public and the media, the same principles that he's applying with the players, which is that you know you can you can be polite, you can be helpful, you can be thoughtful, uh, you can explain yourself, and uh, you know you can bring a bit of um, bit of intelligence and grown upness, if you like, to the whole process. Because really, Tom, it, all this just makes me think more and more about what it used to be like in some of the tournaments that we covered where. It was just like a sort of um, a parody of of English society in some ways, with chaos, with with families and, and players and and us in the media just turning it into a circus, as Rio Ferdinand called the 2006 campaign. We haven't seen any of that. The, all the emphasis has been on the team and, and the way they play and the enthusiasm of the players, and of course now the results. It's hard to imagine Southgate would want a hero's welcome if it does end up being defeat in the semi-final. How do you think England and the FA would manage the after-party if they do lose to Croatia? Uh, well, that's another good question because when you ask people at the FA, what would you need to achieve to uh, justify a parade through London? They look a bit paralysed with fear. It's a, it's, a, it's a question, I think it's a complex question that they don't really want to consider because... British and English sport have fallen into this trap before, of course, you know, um, making themselves look silly with sort of premature victory parades or overblown victory parades. And I can only give you my opinion, which is that it would be ludicrous to have a parade for anything other than the World Cup win, because if you get knocked out in the semi-final, the country can say to the players and to Southgate, you've done brilliantly, this is a, this is a foundation for the future, without actually putting them on a bus and driving them around Piccadilly Circus. Sounds good, Paul. I'll see you at Trafalgar Square. Okay, see you there, Tom. (laughs) Keep me a seat, will you? (laughs) Will do. I'll be the one wearing the uh, plastic breasts. Good. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. Here's a sentence that nobody in the 4.53 billion year history of the earth has said before Saturday. England will face Croatia in the semi-final of a World Cup. Jim White watched Russia versus Croatia on Saturday. Jim, what did you make of Croatia's performance? They're a good team, actually, Tom. I tell you, I watched them having watched England triumphantly. Let's let's not pretend it was any other way. Reach the semi-final uh, against Sweden in, in the stadium in Samara. Then went back to my hotel room, watched it in my hotel room. And I had a soundtrack of people just filling the streets of Samara. And it was a rather sad soundtrack because for the penalty shootout, there were vast cheers echoed around the city whenever Russia scored a penalty, which wasn't unfortunately often enough. And then there was this just horrible, sad depressed silence when Croatia won. And I almost shed a tear. Oh, I'm really sad. You've really brought the mood down, Jim. We were, you know, we were sticking the proverbial <laughs> bunting up in the audio recording facility. And now uh, I just feel very sad for the hosts. But let's focus on Croatia and the semi-final against England. How will Croatia look ahead to that game? And what will they do? What will be the approach against England? 
Well, I think they'll do exactly what they did against Russia, which is give the ball to Luka Modric at, at any possible opportunity. Goodness, he was fantastic, wasn't he, uh, against Russia? The other thing I think they will do is try and get to penalty shootouts. When you've won two, you think the luck's with you. Yeah, their goalkeeper has been especially impressive, Subasic. But he did go down with what looked uh, a fairly serious hamstring injury, uh, albeit one he uh, magically recovered from. Um, how big a loss would he be if he didn't make it for the semi? You know, I haven't studied what the form of their keepers underneath him uh, is like. but Dereliction you know, of duty, Jim. A complete dereliction of duty. I'm, I'm, I cover myself with shame just by saying that, <laughs> that I'm no expert in Croatia's bench. But uh, when you've got a guy who, who feels confident, just look at, let, let, no, let's return the conversation to England at this point. At last. Just look at how the great, and I think we can use that word, Jordan Pickford has grown uh, in this tournament. The confidence of pulling off those saves mean that he will pull off more. And I think it's the same. He's a keeper who has pulled them through two penalty shootouts. That's quite a that's quite a record to have it, 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 to have that thought in your mind when you go into the match um, that you know I'm not scared of you from twelve yards. How will Croatia feel about facing England? Do you think? I think they'll probably regard England as a tougher opponent than Russia were. The relationship between the two has been quite interesting in the last few years. Seems to have been a, a quite easy victory for one side or the other. So you're thinking of the Rooney led four two. England over Croatia at Euro 2004. Then you think of the brilliant performance under Slavon Bilic uh, that consigned Steve McLaren ever to ridicule in the in the 2008 qualifiers. And that was an easy victory for Croatia. And then the uh, Walcott hat-trick uh, 4-1 victory for England against Croatia over there in a World Cup qualifier. So, you know, it, it tends to go one way or the other. I think this will be a much cagier thing, obviously. And I think that England's defence has got far more resolute than maybe people gave it credit for at the start of the tournament. Uh, I think they've become a, a pretty solid unit. So Modric is going to have to be at his scheming best. But I think they'll think they've got a chance. All European lineup now, Jim. Who do you fancy in the other semi-final between France and Belgium? That's a real toughie. I mean, I've seen both of them in action here in Russia. And um, Belgium were magnificent against Brazil. They were everything that you thought Belgium could be. But then again, France were magnificent against Argentina. I think this one, it's got real possibilities. You've got Hazard and Mbappe. Uh, You've got De Bruyne against Pogba. And then... The biggest test of all, you've got Fellaini against Conte. Those who love a bit of destructiveness are going to just... It's, I'm, I'm almost salivating at the thought of that battle. <laughs> Fellaini against Conte. It doesn't get any bigger. Well, he gets a lot bigger than... One of them gets a lot bigger than the other. But as a contest, that is going to define it, I think. Wonderful stuff, Jim. Thank you very much for joining us. Brilliant. All the best. That's all for today's podcast. We'll be back with you after England have defeated Croatia in the World Cup semi-final, hopefully. Meanwhile, if you'd like to contact me, I'm on Twitter as at Tom with an H Gibbs. Subscribe to the podcast by all means. Just search for Total Football on our old friend, the World Wide Web. Our music is by Polvo. Find and purchase their albums at once at mergerecords.com. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.
The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers.